0: Have your uh Bible, please open it to Philippians chapter 3. You're gonna be looking at verses 12 through 16. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Between the first and second comings of Christ, there's what I call the middle. M I D D L E, the middle. So the middle is where the church exists. The middle is where you live as believers. The middle is where you want to be if you are an unbeliever. So the middle is an acronym for making it day to day, living eternally. Making it day to day, living eternally. This is where the church, the Christian life is between the comings of Christ, that you try to make it day to day living eternally. You are believers in the middle. The church is a church in the middle. And in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of what it looks like to make it day to day, living eternally. He gives us a picture of what life is like in the middle. So here's God's word. Not that I have already obtained this, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true. To what we have obtained. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. In all honesty, Lord, I'm not in the great mood to preach today. If I'm honest with myself, I'd rather be somewhere else than just as me being honest. I guess that could be good because I need your spirit anyway. And so I, I bring to you, Lord, my frailty, my constant desire to please man, my constant desire to seek man's approval. I bring to you my insecurities. I bring to you this, this is part of my heart that, that tries to find its identity in everything but Jesus. I stand and pray as the one who needs grace, I repent even of this prayer. I repent even of my repentance. And so, Holy Spirit, I I call upon you. I plead that you will come and minister to my heart, minister to where I am. Help me to know that that, that Christ is ever-present in my life. Not when I'm doing well and And not there when I'm feeling, but he's always there. My prayer for everyone here is that they would know and believe that Jesus is ever present in their life, too. Through the ups and downs. Through the mountaintops and in the valley. He's there. He is a God who is able. He is a God who always fights for his people. So, Holy Spirit, it's your job, it's your role, it's your responsibility to to push us closer to him I can't push my own heart there let alone anyone else's heart so Holy Spirit do in us what we can't do in ourselves draw us closer to Jesus in Christ's name I pray Amen in these verses in Philippians 3 to make it day to day Living eternally means to press on. You have to press on in the middle. First, you press on through the tension in the middle. And tension is a guess that has come that we all know quite well. If you're living life, then you know something about tension. Tension stretches you. It makes you feel like you're in a never-ending game of of tug-of-war. And in this game, you're the rope being pulled back and forth here to there, family life, work life, school and sports, family time, kids' activities, church activities, personal activities. And so you always feel like you never have enough time. You always feel stretched, pulled in so many directions. And that is life. That's even life in the middle. And in the middle, you're, you're, you're a rope being pulled in two being pulled by two realities, two realities, the present reality in which you now live and a future reality that has not come in its fullness yet. It's what Christian theologians call the already and not yet of the Christian life. The tension means that the present life you live in the middle will never be what it's going to be, you see, in the future when Jesus returns but the future life pours you. It still pours you because you get a taste of what's to come. A taste of what's to come. The psalmist says in Psalm 127, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see it. You will see his goodness. You will experience his goodness. But is it the full extent of it that is yet to come? When Jesus returns and so in the middle there is tension between the already and the not yet of the Christian life and the apostle Paul he personally experiences this tension you see in verses 7 through 11 Paul tells us that he counts everything a loss because of suppressing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. He says, for this I suffer the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and may share in his suffering and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. These verses speak of a future reality that Paul is partially experiencing in the present. He is experiencing freedom from having confidence in the flesh. He does count things as a loss that interferes with his relationship with Christ. He is growing in his knowledge of Christ. He is growing in suffering for Christ. He is growing in living in Christ's righteousness. He is growing in living a resurrected lifestyle. Paul experiences these things in the Christian world. But, but, but to prevent the Philippians and from us from having a false impression of him, to prevent us from having a a false expectation about the Christian life, to prevent us from thinking that, that he has reached and attained some spiritual completeness, he mentions the tug of war between the present and the future. He shows us that there is tension. There's tension as you make it day-to-day living eternally. And that's why he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul presses on through the tensions of where he currently is in his walk and where he's headed in the future. He experiences tension as he makes it day-to-day living eternally. One commentator says that that Paul marks the opening of this session, states that it is tension between his present attainment and his aspirations for the future. You see, Paul's justification by faith alone in Christ does not produce and will never produce in him a perfect obtaining of all the things he says in verses 7 through 11. He would never be brought to be perfect. He would never be brought to completion in this life. Not that I'm already perfect in this present life. His progress in the Christian journey has not brought him to completion. It hasn't brought him to a perfect grasping of knowing Jesus. It hasn't brought him to a perfect completeness of of not struggling with the flesh. It has not brought him to a, a perfect understanding of what it means to live in Christ's righteousness. It hasn't brought him to a place to count it all joy when he suffers. And what this means for us today, as we live this Christian journey, and as you live this Christian life, neither will you be brought to a place of completion or perfection in this lifetime. There will be tension in the middle. There will be tension as you make it day to day, living eternally. Tension will be a guess. So that means as you experience freedom from confidence in your flesh, there will be be tension there. Because sometimes you will put confidence in the flesh. There will be tension as you try to count all things as a loss that interferes with your relationship with Christ. That means you will let things interfere with your walk with Christ. There will be times when you don't. And there will be times when you do. There will be tension. There will be tension as you try to grow in your knowledge of Christ, grow closer to him in your relationship. There will be tension because there's part of you that don't want to know him. And there's part of you that do. Tension. There will be tension as you suffer for Christ because part of you don't want to do that. You don't want to give up stuff for him. Tension. There will be tension as you try to live in Christ's righteousness. There will be days when you embrace it, and there will be days when you want to have your own righteousness, not his. There will be tension as you try to live a resurrected lifestyle for him. The tension is part of the Christian life. You would never experience perfection. And neither did Paul Near the end of the apostles. So Paul says here you must press on through the tension to make these things your own. But how do you press on through them? How do you press on through the middle? How do you press on to, to make it day to day living eternally when you feel like you're just stuck and can't ever get over the hump when it comes to some things in your spiritual walk? You do it by pressing on to keep your focus on Jesus. The words from my old hymn says, The bride's eyes, not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I would not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he gives, but on his pierced hand. These words express what it means to keep your focus on Jesus, to press on in keeping your focus on him. You have to look at him as you try to make it day-to-day living eternally. You see, Paul presses on through the tensions in the middle by keeping his focus on Jesus. Not that I have already obtained this, already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's Paul's focus. It's what Jesus has done for him. Not on what he tries to do for Jesus in his present life. His focus and your focus does make a difference as you walk and journey through life. Jesus made Paul his own. That's a passive statement, meaning Paul had nothing to do with it. If you know anything about Paul's conversion, Paul was going to Damascus to kill Christians. Jesus was not on his mind as he traveled on that journey. He was not thinking about Jesus. He wasn't seeking Jesus. He was going to hurt Jesus' people. He was an enemy of the cross. But Jesus showed up on that road and changed everything about Paul. Because Paul was an enemy of the cross. Until Jesus stepped down and redeemed him. Gave him eyes to see his sin and brought him into the family. Paul presses on to to keep his focus on the finished work of Christ. Christ's perfect life, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, and Christ's righteousness that he freely gives to anyone who comes to him in saving faith. His focus is on Jesus as he presses on through the tensions of living in the middle. What about you? Where is your focus? Where is your focus? And if you are a believer, what happens to you when you take your focus off Jesus? If you take your eyes off him as you try to make it day to day, living eternally. If you take your eyes off of him, it's going to be on your performance. It's either going to be his performance or your performance. Where is your focus? Because if it's on your performance, then you're going to try to find your identity in that performance. How well you're doing as a Christian is always determined upon how you're performing. When you're performing well, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He adores you. But when you're failing, he no longer loves you. So you've got to press on through the tension here to keep your eyes on him. Your Savior. Listen. Jesus accepts us. He meets us where we are. Yeah, But he doesn't leave us there. He does change us. He does bring resurrection. He does bring restoration in our life. He does grow us. But the growth will never be to the point where we need less of him. The growth is never going to be to a point where we can expect to have heaven or earth. We would get a taste of glory. But it's not going to be the full Glory. We're not going to ever have our best life now. If you did, would you ever long to go to heaven? We get a taste of it. We get a taste of it. We see redemption. We see God bringing healing. We see God undoing the fall. But it ain't ever going to be what it's going to be. The fact that the church is here called to minister to the least of these is him undoing what the fall did. But it's just a taste. But Pastor Alex, you don't understand what it's like. If I no longer had this problem or this struggle, then I'll be a better Christian. Pastor, doesn't Jesus want to heal me? For me to have joy? For me to be happy? Jesus, through his spirit, he does clean out the junk in our life. He does. He cleans out the junk in our life. But as he cleans out junk, he reveals more junk. You see? You've got to understand that about how he works. He cleans out junk, and he reveals junk. Cleaning out the junk is you getting a taste of glory. Revealing the junk is, remember, you ain't in glory yet. He cleans out, he reveals to us, to me, to all of us. The gospel changes us, but it never changes the reality that as believers, we will always live in a constant state of tension, a constant state of tension. And and what the American church is experiencing right now is tension. To reminder, glory will never be in this country. Glory is still to come. It's still to come. That this is not his kingdom. His kingdom is still to come. And we're being reminded of that as our culture never embraces our way of life. It never will. It never will. Because lost people can't embrace life. You see? They can't. We extend life to them because we are the church. This week, many of the local schools had award days. It's a time for students to it's a time for students to get recognized for all their hard work throughout the school year. And these recognition, these this recognition awards are for academic achievements and in math and reading, A and B on a row and perfect attendance. Now, I like award day, award days at school, but there is a catch. There is a catch. Because as you sit there as a parent, as a kid sit there, awards day can quickly be go beyond just recognition of hard work to becoming of a day of defining your self-worth, your value, and your identity. Everything is wrapped up into these little awards. A parent's self-worth as a parent is going to be recognized by telling them how the awards my kids get. And so awards day can quickly turn into that if you're not careful. And so if you approach life in the middle like it's leading up to this great awards day that's totally based on your performance, then you're going to live your life trying to find your identity, your purpose, and your value in the things you do for Jesus instead of Jesus himself. You've got to understand that who you are, your self-worth, Your value, your identity is always wrapped up in Jesus, not in what you do for Jesus. Your child's self-worth is not defined by grades. And your worth as a parent is not defined by how good your kids do in school. And as a believer, your self-worth is not found in how successfully you live for Jesus. It's based upon what Jesus has done for you. You see the difference. One of those leads to joy. One will always keep you depressed because you ain't ever going to be enough <laughs> because you can't. There's part of you that don't love him and part of you that do. The sinful nature, your flesh doesn't love Jesus and it still lives in you. The flesh will not be destroyed completely until he descends. It no longer has control over your life, but it still is there. It is still there, and it does not love him. And there's part of you that do it because the spirit lives in you as well. And Paul talks about this in Galatians. The spirit and the flesh roar against each other. You don't know what you're doing. And that is the reality of the Christian life. And Jesus loves you even when you fail because his love isn't based upon your performance. You've got to believe that. He made you his own through his finished work. Not some foreseen future or you being a good Christian. He went to the cross because we're not. If we could have gotten there without him going to the cross, God would have given us that. He came because we can't. Francis Schaeffer, the old uh, presbyterian theologian, says, The church needs to function consciously on the basis of the finished work of Christ. Not on any proud basis of any inherent value in itself or any supposed or assumed inherent superiority. The finished work of Christ is the basis for what we do. His work, his performance, that's our value. That's our motivation to be the church. And as individual believers, we need to live our life on that same basis on what Jesus has done for you. Not on any proud basis of what you think you do for him. Or any inherent value in ourselves and our work or our supposed superiority. It's always Jesus at the center. He's at the center. Your focus from the moment of conversion until the day you breathe your last day should be on Jesus. you have to press on and keep your focus on him because this is all our hope and peace nothing but the blood of Jesus but do we believe it but do we believe it in the the, the, the day to day life as you try to make it day to day living eternally do you believe the blood of Jesus is all your hope and peace and all your righteousness do you really believe that or do we just know it here it's something that's theology, but never really has made itself wrapped up in our heart. It has to be here for it to impact our life. I know a lot of theology that has not made its way into my heart. It just, I just know how to argue with people. But it has not really impacted the way I live. It doesn't impact the way you live until it touches you in your soul. Then it becomes real. Then it becomes truth that we can die for. Where is your focus in the middle? It has to be on Jesus. You focus on him as you press on. And lastly, as you press on in the middle, focusing on him, you forget what lies behind. See, Paul presses on in his Christian life because of the finished work of Christ. He presses on through the tensions of knowing Jesus. He presses on through the tensions of, of placing his confidence in the flesh he presses on through, through the tensions of trying to live in the righteousness of Christ. He presses on through the tensions of trying to walk in the good works that God had created for him. He presses on through the tensions of, of living a life of faith and repentance. He wants to make all the things in verses 7 through 11 his own, but he realizes that it's not going to be easy. He realizes it's going to be an uphill battle. So he says, one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He reminds us that he is not going to arrive at completion. Do you think Paul still struggled with sin in his life? All the heroes of the faith that you worship, do you think these men and women have sin in their life? Now, we don't, they don't talk about their sin in the books, but each and every one of them are sinners. Each and every one of them. The celebrity pastor that you worship is a sinner. All of them are sinners, including myself and you. Do you think Paul struggled with self-righteousness? Yes, he did. Even the heroes of the faith struggles, the same way you struggle. There is only one who didn't, and that is Jesus. Paul, at every moment of his life, didn't live in the righteousness of Christ. He struggled, too. But what he says, I pressed on to make it my own. But do not consider that I have made it my own. He's not there yet, is his point. I have not arrived, and neither were you. Neither were you. None of us will get to that place where we can say, I am here, I have arrived, I'm no longer struggling with these things anymore. That's glory, that's not life in the here and now. He makes it day to day living eternally by forgetting what lies behind. See, Paul isn't living his life, Christian life, in the rear view mirror. Past failures, past successes, past disappointments, he leaves them behind. He leaves them behind only because his eyes are focused on Jesus. That's how he leaves it behind. Because your focus is what's going to help you. If you focus in on Jesus, you can forget what lies behind. Because you're always looking ahead to where you're going as a believer. Not to what you're losing as a believer. We have lost. But where is God taking you? To glory. Everything that you're going through is leading you to one place. To your final destination. And that is with him. That is with him. With him. These things that, that we go through can be a distraction. But when your focus is on Jesus, you get up, you dust it off, and you keep moving forward. We all fall. But not all of us get up. You get up when you realize Jesus is there. He helps you get up and you keep on moving forward to what he has called you to. The prize for the believer, the prize for us as believers in this country is what's to come. It's not necessarily our culture embracing everything that we believe. It will not ever embrace what we believe. What we're here to do is to help save those who are lost, who are blind, because we want them to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Paul is longing for glory. He's longing to see Jesus face to face. Do you long for that? Do you long for it? To be with your king, your final destination. Paul's progress in the faith and Christian maturity is this. You growing in your understanding of how far you still have to go. That's Christian maturity. You still have a ways to go. That's Christian growth. Is you see more of your sin, not less of your sin. Is you seeing how much you need Jesus, not how little you need of him. Christian maturity is you learning to embrace and accept the fact that you're going to always live with a sense of incompleteness in this Christian life. You're going to feel incomplete. Because you're are. you are stuck between two realities. So you're going to feel the incompleteness. And guess what? It's okay. It's okay. That's normal. What's abnormal is us waking up thinking we're going to get a different feeling. He has not promised heaven or earth. But what he has promised is that he would be with you to the end. He will be with you to the end. That's what he has promised you. And that's what you hold on to. As a believer, making it day to day, living eternally. This will change you. This will empower you. This will keep you moving forward as times in life get hard. And they will get hard. So as believers, we make it day to day, living eternally, by forgetting what lies behind. And we move toward our heavenly home in glory. Your soul can dwell in the middle because you know who owns your destiny. Who owns your destiny? Who controls your destiny as a believer? As sons and God of the king, sons and daughters of the king, who controls your final destination? You, this culture, or Jesus? Jesus does. And this table is a reminder of who controls your destiny. It's a reminder that no matter what you go through in this life, your place, your name is written in glory. It's a reminder that no matter what the world does to you, no matter what you may lose or privileges we may lose as believers in this country, that who we are can never be taken from us. It's a reminder that God is on your side. It's a reminder of what he did to make you a son and a daughter. It's a reminder of what he did, not for friends, but what he did for enemies. Something that we won't do for our enemies. Die for their sins. So when you look at this table, please know he did this for you when you hated him. When you didn't love him, when you refused to love him, he did it for those who will curse him. Who is this table for? This table is for those who have come to have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's a table for those who who have come to, to, to surrender their life to him in saving faith. And so if you are a believer,